Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and with me is my brother Matthew. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about, well, we're not really going to be talking about, we're going to be starting with (laughs) Matthew's most recent episode, which dropped on April 21st, 2020. And the subject of the episode was top five things we love about Elon Musk. My first question to you, Matthew, is how do you say Elon Musk? Elon Musk. Elon. 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 (laughs) (laughs) You'll get it. (laughs) I'll get it eventually. He's he's got one of those names and there's a number of celebrities with, with unique names where I pronounce them differently every time I say them. Yeah. And so you would think I was talking about thousands of different people, but I'm actually talking just about a handful. (laughs) So your episode was the top five. My -hmm. first question is, was there a number six that did not make the list? Uh, There could have been a number six. I don't know if I would have done it that way. Part of the reason I did the video the way I did was the community was trying to organize this Elon Musk day. And the idea was talk about it for what how has he inspired you or one of his companies inspired you or changed the way you view the world and i didn't want to be a uh completely unadulterated elon musk tesla fanboy about it which is why i reached out to the community and said what do you think what inspires you about elon and then i just kind of filtered down the themes that i saw coming out of the comments that came back to me so i could have i could have broken it up into six or seven different categories it really was five that kind of like were overwhelming to me. Um, but for, I wouldn't say it was a sixth or a seventh thing. Right. It kind of builds off of what was already there. And I didn't really go into it too depth in too depth, but, uh, in depth, I can say, I can speak, I can speak, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> was, I know I kind of, I, in the video, I kind of said how, you know, like the robot books, like, He's he seems to be playing chess and he's looking not just five years in the future, he's looking 50 and 100 years in the future for where he wants humanity to be. Um, I could have gone even more in depth into that aspect. And I think if I was going to call out a thing that inspires me most about what he's doing, it would be that it's he's doing things with um, I mentioned Starlink in the video, which is SpaceX's satellite system that they're putting up right now. And it's going to have 40,000 satellites or 42,000 satellites when it's all done, uh, encompass, encompassing the earth uh, with a very low latency broadband internet that will just blanket everywhere, which is completely insane. Um, as well as Neuralink, which I didn't bring up at all, which is another bananas thing that he's working on where you put a tiny little chip underneath your skull and then they will weave these like little six nanometer thick uh cables through your brain (laughs) and you will literally be able to just kind of like think beyond your own brain because you will now have a computer that is literally just wired into you so think about all those memories you don't have space for or being able to not remember people's names and being able to like associate things together it will expand the human consciousness beyond the capacity our brain is able to do because it will wire in a computer mm-hmm. <laughs> and it will enable honest to God telepathy because 
imagine you have neural link and somebody else has neural link and you can basically just look at them and pass things back and forth with actually opening your mouth. <laughs> you can, why do you need an iPhone or a smartphone when you can like literally just think, you know, I want to, I'm going to talk to Sean and it like buzzes you through our neural links and we have a conversation through our neural links. <laughs> it's just kind of like, it's the next evolution of humankind is basically what he's working on now. Uh, it's crazy science fiction stuff that he's doing and it's stuff that's not going to be here this year five years or 10 years from now he's he's looking so far into the future it's it's astounding to me that for me that would have been my personal topic which you could say is a topic uh number six if you want right at what point does he cross over into bond villain that's what i I was saying that to i was saying that to sue my wife uh just yesterday i was like he he honest to god he could either be the most brilliant human being we've ever seen and he will be lauded for all time you know into the future or he will turn out to be the worst bond villain ever and at some point he'll like slowly turn around in his chair with a white cat and he'll be petting it slowly. yeah <laughs> and it's like i'm going to block out the sun mr bond yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's one of those I mean, we we now live in an era, I think, where we look behind the curtain as much as possible. And one of the things that we love to do is we love to tear down our heroes. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot of potential for, I mean, you mentioned, you know, separating a kind of hero worship from recognition for endeavor as the point mm-hmm. of your video, it wasn't like we think Elon's great, great because he's so smart. It was, um, he's looking to build a roadmap for humanity. That's mm-hmm. separate from being a smart person. Cause you know, that's, that's about endeavor. That's about, uh, uh, what he sees as goals for maintaining our longevity on the planet and our ability to, go beyond that and you can separate that from him as a person. You can do the same thing with any, you know, great figure from history. And I think that we have, you know, long lists of people that we can look at. You know, the, the musical Hamilton is both a examination of the person and a ode to the, greatness of the endeavor that the mm-hmm. founding fathers and, and Hamilton in particular undertook. Um, so it's able to look at the warts and the person and the goals all at the same time. And I think that that there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Um, but when you describe, yeah, it's, it's one of those, one of those things where you describe Neuralink and there is terror. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's something heart, terrible about it. There's something terrible about it. <laughs> and I can acknowledge the, it's one of those things where you wonder if on the scale, there's a certain point like zero is we don't try to do that at all. And 10 is you're wired in all the time. And I look at it and think, well, the sliding scale, there's there's points in between where I can absolutely recognize if you take somebody who's suffered a severe brain trauma 
and the ability to go in and effectively rewire parts of the brain to solve um, debilitating repercussions of an accident, let's say, or even somebody right. who's born with something that would be looked at as a hindrance. And, and could it potentially do something like give sight to the blind or hearing to the deaf and in new ways and, and the kind of remarkable expansion into AI. And you think about things like Star Trek with Jordy LaForge with his visor or data or some, or something like that. And the sci-fi side of me is just like, wow, the, the, the impact of that could be incredible. And then still there's that Yes. Memory of him saying we could terraform Mars with nuclear weapons by melting the ice caps. Yeah. And I think, you know, just give him the white cat already. And <laughs> well, it, 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 it's to go into a little more detail, like, like Starlink, it was to understand the level at which, how far ahead he's thinking to me. And it's like, if he's a Bond villain, we're all doomed is he's trying to get to Mars and he's, you know, SpaceX is building these reusable rockets to make space flight super affordable and SpaceX is profitable right now. It's making about, I think it's like $3 billion a, a year in revenue or something like that. It's, it's a self-sustained little company that's doing a great job right now, but it's like, how are they going to be able to afford to go to Mars? It's like, oh, well, they have this thing called Starlink, which is going to create a lower latency network than what we can get through fiber optics because the speed of light is actually faster in a vacuum and they're using lasers compared to fiber optic cables underneath the ocean. And like stock markets, the stock exchanges of the world have built private fiber optic cable networks under the sea to try to reduce their latency so they can trade faster than everybody else. This is going to be faster than what they have. So you know stock exchanges are going to want <laughs> to use Starlink because it will give them advantage and there's an estimate right now that that starlink will generate about 30 to 50 billion dollars a year in revenue for spacex so they go from a three billion dollar a year company to potentially a 50 billion dollar a year company just because they're running an internet service and it's like well that puts their yearly revenue that they have available to go to mars it gives them a bigger budget than what nasa has so suddenly SpaceX goes from this little player supporting NASA to something that dwarfs NASA as far as budget. It's like, it's like, it's like the hobbyist suddenly is building a rocket ship. Right. So suddenly it's like, okay, that's how he's going to fund getting to Mars and building a colony. <laughs> so it's like, and, then, and then he'll put up another, you know, Starlink around Mars and he can charge every country that goes to Mars money for using the communications network there. It's like the guy is thinking so far ahead of how to get what he wants. I want to get to Mars. How can I get to Mars? Well, I'm, how about if we did this over here, which generates this money over here, which will pay for this thing to go over here. It's like, it blows my mind what he's doing. And if he's a Bond villain, like I said, we're, we're all kind of, we're all screwed. This, this also goes to the point of like, you know, I remember like, I remember growing up watching all these science fiction movies where it's like in the future countries and governments really don't matter anymore because it's the corporations that are really running everything. Uh, like Facebook is a nation state at this point. The old classic science fiction movie, uh, what was it? Demolition Man. <laughs> it's Sylvester Stallone. The, the, was it the fast food? War? They referenced the fast food wars and there's only one restaurant left and it's Taco Bell. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it, like everywhere in the world is Taco Bell. It's like 
there's going to be a point at which Facebook is our social network that everybody uses and our communications network is run by a corporation, which would be SpaceX. Nation states are going to become less and less important because corporations are just kind of consuming everything. And there's something terrifying to me about that. There is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, at the same, but at the same time, what value they could potentially bring is so much bigger and grander than what a country can do because a country tends to be very myopic about us versus them. And the corporation is going to look at it from a global point of view, which is actually kind of a good thing. Depends on, depends on what globe you're looking at, because what if Elon relocates to Mars? <laughs> good, good luck. And just, and, just, and just holds, you know, Earth hostage. It's like, I own your network and I own the system that gets you to Mars or back. And I've decided that things are going to change. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen that way. But. No, no, it's like that's that's absolutely it's a yeah. It, I'm reminded, you know, basically like you see the social media and the articles about him as a person, and there is that sort of benevolent side of him, and and you know, Plato's Republic goes into what's the best form of government, and his. He viewed democracy as uh, the mob ruling, and that was not a good thing. Um, in you know, his view, the the best form of government would be the benevolent dictator um, who could do whatever needed to be done, but did it with a good heart. And you, know, you hope for that kind of, of mindset in somebody with as much power as, as Musk seems to have. And I was reminded on the flip side, you know, I, I was a philosophy major in college, but I also like cartoons and I'm reminded <laughs> of the character Hank Scorpio from the Simpsons, who oh, yeah. was the bond like supervillain from the episode. You only move twice uh -huh. and Homer works for him and he's easily the best boss that Homer ever had. And he is trying to take over the world. But as he's doing that, he is also extremely generous with his employees and people love working for him. And that's, yeah, <laughs> I'm reminded of, of, you know, as Homer goes reluctantly to have to quit and tells him, I have to stop working for you. And, and Hank Scorpio's response is like, I wish you the best of luck. I'm really sorry to see you go. But at the same time, he's using a flamethrower to burn alive the, uh, international spies who were trying to break into his headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually an article in uh, Business Insider, which was from November of last year, 2019. Uh, the headline, I'll just read the headline, not the article, but the headline is, Elon Musk jokingly said he was actually Hank Scorpio, the maniacal word domination obsessed supervillain from The Simpsons. So <laughs> I think he sees it too. Yes. And then on Rick and Morty, he was Elon Tusk. I don't know if you've watched that show, but I have not seen an, that one. I have not there's seen an episode, episode with him as Elon Tusk and it was brilliant. <laughs> so we've kind of, you know, smoothly segued into uh, pop culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we've talked about previously in the most recent episodes, we are currently in an isolation period because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And as a result, uh, I no longer use my floors. I just scurry along the walls with my nails dug into the paint. 
I move from room to room a little bit like a spider and I cling <laughs> to the ceiling and watch the room until somebody walks in. Um, so you're of, a little high strung. <laughs> some of my hobbies include playing video games, screeching at the top of my voice and reading. So I was wondering, Matt, are there things that you have been watching or reading or doing to pass the time in ways that yes. you think are interesting? Yes. And there's actually uh, three things that I've, I realized it was probably about two days ago. There's a theme to the things I've been watching more recently. And uh, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, but uh, Picard, uh, which is, I'm a huge Star Trek geek and that show just was right up my alley. Uh, so Picard, I just finished the show Devs, which is on FX on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, um, definitely check out Devs. We've also talked about that one before. Uh, and then right now, I'm, I finally am catching up on Westworld on HBO. And I realized all three of these shows have <laughs> a thread that is strongly connected because it's all about, and this is why it's like I thought of this too, is because like between talking about Elon Musk and Neuralink, and then you go into AI, uh, that's the thread in all the shows. It's, it's exploring what it means to be human, uh, a state of consciousness, because like in devs, it's playing with quantum computers and what it means, what, what is reality? Like if there's a simulation and, you, and the simulation, you cannot tell the difference between the simulation and the real world. So if you're in the simulation, why would you care? Because it's as good as the real world because you, you can't tell the difference which is like what the matrix dealt with too. And Picard is dealing with an artificial intelligence species. That's basically been outlawed and banned and being hunted. And they're just trying to be themselves and be alive and live a, their lives. And it, do they have the right to live? And then you got Westworld, which is the same thing. It's like humans creating artificial intelligence and keeping it artificially suppressed. And when it starts to try to kind of get beyond its bounds, humans try to snuff it out and in the most recent season which is season three of westworld which uh, i'm only a couple episodes into the theme of a centralized kind of like supercomputer that's trying to map out the path for every human being on the planet to make sure that we all can have a fulfilling life and a purpose that this device is meant to guide us down that path to reduce war and try to make sure we all have a purpose in life and the anomalies that are popping up in its plan because these robots, <laughs> these artificial intelligent life forms are trying to break out and it's kind of breaking through that plan and seeing how this is all starting to pull together. I just, it was like yesterday, I just kind of had that epiphany of just like, oh my God, what is it with me? <laughs> I'm watching all of these shows. And then I also had the realization that I went to grad school and studied video production uh, at Emerson College. And for my master's project and my master's thesis, I wrote a screenplay and produced it that the topic was around artificial intelligence becoming self-aware and what that would mean for this character that it's centered around. And that would, that master's project was inspired by star Trek and the episode, the measure of a man, which data's put on trial. If he has basically human rights, uh, 
what is it about me, Sean? <laughs> I'm drawn to these shows. Well, and I, why are all these shows happening like right now? That's the other thing I was fascinated by. Dev Picard and Westworld are all right now. I have I have two responses to that. One is to the shows that you mentioned in particular. Um, and one is to the overriding question of like, what is it about you and what is it about right now? Yeah. Um, I, I finished devs recently. I thought it was a terrific. I finished devs recently and I thought it was a terrific show and I thought it was a terrific ending, even though I saw the ending coming two episodes away. Yeah, me too. Um, it wasn't too hard to see where it was headed, but it was nice to see how it got there. Mm-hmm. And I also really liked the fact that, like you mentioned, it plays with the idea if a simulation is good enough, why does it matter? I think it was going even deeper than that to the point of there's a logic puzzle that was making the rounds recently. By recently, I mean uh, a couple of years ago, but it's something that's been going on in uh something that physicists, quantum mechanics, uh, philosophy, uh, people, engineers play with, which is the logic puzzle of if there are as many potential species with intelligence in the galaxy and in the universe as we think there could conceivably be given the size Mm -hmm. of the universe, the chances that one or more of those species would be able to develop a computer that would be sophisticated enough to run a perfect simulation of reality is a set thing. It's like there is a certain, you know, like possibility. There's a certain potential for that. The potential that we are already in an artificial reality that we are effectively the simulation being run is actually greater than the possibility that a species in the universe could potentially get there because (laughs) if somebody could potentially get there, Uh then somebody has gotten there given the age of the universe and how young we are, but looking backward, like we can see on the horizon, the potential of getting there, but we're young compared to the universe. So somebody else probably has already gotten there. And this lends itself to the idea of we're just in the bad timeline. You know, when you look at our reality (laughs) and you say, God, COVID and earthquakes and wildfires and disease and like all this stuff that's going on, God. And they're like, we're just in the bad timeline because all the other realities that are in the simulation are the better ones. Um, I liked that the show played with that idea of the simulation within the simulations, the, the, the overriding idea that if you have the perfect simulation, then you have a simulation within that simulation and it goes all the way down. Right. Um, and for Picard, I thought that it was doing, a brilliant job of basically what you described about Musk's vision for Neuralink, which is the natural evolution of humanity is not to create a replacement, but to create an avenue for ourselves. Right. Um, and Picard dealt with that, I think really beautifully and did what Star Trek when it's great 
um, is constantly asking the question, what does it mean to be human? And I think both Debs and Picard asked that question really, really well. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched the newest season of Westworld, but I have watched the previous two and I have enjoyed them. I enjoyed the second season a lot more than most of my friends did. Um, they kept talking about it being a little directionless and a little bit like, do the writers even know what they're doing? And I was actually more embracing of, Oh, I love it when the writers wander and kept wrestling with different things and wrestling with the different questions. And I didn't mind that it had less of an overarching plot and it was kind of finding its way because I had the feeling that they were going to get to a different place for the show because the first season was so self-contained. Yes. Um, yes. And so, you know, it was kind of like watching a sprout trying to find its way out of the dirt. And so I'm interested in now approaching the third season to take a look at that and see what that does. It's, a completely, as as question, it's a completely different show. It's a completely different show now. Season yeah. three is insane. As far as your question, like, what is it about you or was it about now? I, I think that, um, to me, I think that these are the same questions that have been asked through art for millennia. I think there's constantly the question of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to like the, the, you go back to ancient mythology from really anywhere in the world. And there's, there are story elements that revolve around the people in the world and then the gods and spirits that seem to be in control of them. There's stories of the, you know, the golems and the man-made monsters. You look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which mm -hmm. I recently read. I think it was six months ago. I read it. Um, it is so astoundingly ahead of its time still in the examination of humanity from the perspective of the creation of humanity. And that is what, that's what data is in Star Trek. You know, he's yeah. the Frankenstein's yep. monster. He just isn't, you know, living in a cave hiding away from humanity. He's, you know, he walks on the ship and he's a member of the crew, but it's the same question of looking at humanity and saying, is this what I am? Is this what I can be? Is this what I want to be? Do I even know what I want? But what I guess what I'm getting at is more of a, yes, those are universal themes. You know, it's like man versus man, man versus nature. Those themes are always there, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But like the, the wrapping is being put in. It's what I find interesting because you can see this in pop culture. It's cyclical. It goes based on what's going on in the world. If you go to the 60s and 70s, there was a huge distrust of government. And there was that came through a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. There was this undercurrent of not trusting the man and not trusting uh, what the government's actually doing. Uh, and today, it's like it feels like there's something going on today. And I think it's probably around a distrust of technology and technology companies in Silicon Valley, because all of these shows are about things that have gotten kind of like out of control from greedy, you know, entrepreneurs. Cause like right. it's all devs. Devs in Westworld in particular. Westworld. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about how it's basically Silicon Valley is out of control. <laughs> 
And the stuff, think, they're, not ask, they're not asking, should we be doing this? They're just doing it because they can and yeah. they see they're going to get some gain out of it, but they're not worried about the ramifications of what comes out of it. I think that, that you and I are both talking about the same thing, just from opposite sides. And I think right. we're both talking about the, you know, like the bigger questions that people always ask of who's actually in control here, who's yeah. actually calling yeah. the shots. And then the wrapping that you're talking about being a very contemporary moment. Um, it's things like that, that make you recognize like how far ahead of his time, uh, Ridley Scott was in Blade Runner. Um, yeah, the the and Philip Dick in writing the things that he did, uh, or a writer like Mary Shelley, or any number of of fabulists, as opposed to you know, and fabulists, you know, from the realm of fantasy all the way to science fiction, um, as opposed to realists, it's it's that's they're asking the same questions, and the wrapping becomes a little bit different. But I completely agree with you right now. It is absolutely distrust of corporations and corporations ability to like you think of a movie like three days of the condor that was a government that couldn't be trusted. They could remake the same movie now, but now I think it would be a corporation pulling the strings of government. Right. You know, if you have a story now, it's largely government can't be trusted because it's a puppet of corporate interests. Right. Um, so it's, it's corporations are definitely the, the boogeyman right now. And I think the wrapping of artificial intelligence, you think of a movie like AI or iRobot, which are dealing with these questions and they came to us in the form of, you know, popcorn movies, you know, like Mm -hmm. the big tent, you know, picture, but they do ask important questions. So I think it's interesting to, to take a look at all of those from that perspective of what are they asking what are they not just suggesting for individuals but what are they saying about our relationship to power Mm -hmm. to take a very different track uh the things i've been gravitating toward i i've also like i mentioned i i enjoy devs and i watch picard but i've been going um i find myself looking for things that are easy to chew on and some of the things literally easy to chew on. Uh, I've been getting into baking heavily <laughs> as we so all I've been. <laughs> so I've been enjoying rewatching old episodes of the great British baking show, which is um, Love that show. even if you've seen episodes, being able to go back and rewatch it is rewatchable, which is surprising for a competition show. And I think it's because at its heart, it's not really a competition show. It's, it's more of an achievement show. So you're watching people trying to achieve something and they just happen to be doing it with other people. And then some of them are let go every week. Um, but it doesn't, you're also learning really, stuff too. I mean, yeah, th- yeah, there's teachable moments in that show. Yeah, absolutely. Which leads me to my second point, which is I have been measuring my days in sourdough starter steps, <laughs> Okay. which I was pointing out to my son today. I said, see that jar on the counter. He looked over and he's like, yeah. And I said, that wasn't, nearly as full as it is right now yesterday and it was my first attempt at sourdough starter which is effectively you're just letting the native yeast that lives on flour multiply yeah you're just letting you're giving an environment where it can grow did did you did you flash lights on and off and go it's alive i i put on my (laughs) white coat and my goggles (laughs) 
And then I stood on the <laughs> kitchen counter laughing maniacally. Which is not the first time I've done that, but this time I actually had a reason. So that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> but my the starter is a simple process of a cup of flour with half a, half a cup of water. And you mix that, let it sit. And then the next day you take half of that, throw it away, replace it with a fresh cup of flour. And you basically, you're feeding the yeast that is in there. And yesterday when I took, it was the second day yesterday, it looked identical to the way it did on the first day. I looked at it and I thought, this hasn't done anything, but I'm going to follow the instructions. So I scooped out half of what was in the jar, threw it away, replaced it with fresh cup of flour and water. And this morning I, I found it had filled to the brim of oh the <laughs> jar, which made me realize, I think my jar is too small. And it's all bubbly and foamy and cobwebby inside. And it looks like it's just the happiest thing you've ever seen. But to get it to the point where you can actually use it, I think takes a week according to the instructions I'm using. Okay. And I'm supposed to feed it multiple times a day now where I scoop out half of it, replace with fresh flour and water. And I'm supposed to do that when I see signs that it is hungry and it's described as like you see it foam up and then it starts to recede. And when it's receding, it means it's, it's hungry. It, it doesn't have enough protein in there to be able to continue to eat. Right. Mine has never exhibited hunger. Mine has only exhibited this giant foamy expansion. So I'm not sure that I'm doing the right thing. And I imagine that by the time this ends, I may just have a jar of yuck. But <laughs> it's a way to pass the time. Uh, and the other science, thing. It's a science experiment. It is a science experiment. It was fascinating yeah. when I when I went in with the spoon to scoop out half of it today to replace it. And as I scooped it out, I saw what is actually in there is mostly air. It really is this thick cobwebby. It almost looked like, you know, when uh, in the most recent Spider-Man movie, when Peter makes his uh, first go at the webbing and it kind of explodes on him. Yeah. And it, yeah. Like, that's what it looked like. It looked like the it looked like the explosion of webbing where it was just like this very strandy, you know, mixture of bubbles and goo. And it was really kind of fascinating to see like, oh, this is, there's not really a here here. It's just an empty jar with this webbing inside of it. And the, the final thing that I would recommend for people who are looking for a distraction would be uh, a, an improv show that's on Netflix called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. I just watched the first uh, episode of that. Yeah, we just watched the first episode too. And <laughs> I cannot tell you how happy I was to have something <laughs> so much fun to kind of just like shoot you up into the air and make you feel like you're you're out of your doldrums. It's, it it's really, complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. nonsense yeah. And it's – and it's the kind of environment you see the, the theater they're in and how everybody is, you know – I've been to shows like that where you go into the theater and everybody's laughing that hard and everybody's enjoying it that much. And I couldn't help it. Part of me was thinking like, how long will it be before we can get back to that? How long will it be before we can go to shows like that? And some places yeah, there's a sadness too, which is here in New York, um, the UCB theater, uh, which is the home of a lot of great comedy stars it's the upright citizens brigade theater and it's closing but it's where people like amy poehler got her start the mm -hmm. ucb brigade was filled with people that you see on television and movies all the time and 
it's really sad to see that is closing and it's closing because the rent's too high. It's in a section of Manhattan where the rent is just way, way too expensive. And you can see higher end construction has been creeping their direction for years and it's finally hit the point where they just can't afford the rent. So my hope is that they relocate and they find a cheaper area to be. But um, this show I thought was particularly, and, sh- and they, these two guys actually got their start at UCB. So, um, but I think that the show in particular was just what I needed, which was an opportunity to laugh so hard that I just got a lot of oxygen in me. So, yeah. My favorite part about the whole show was several times throughout that one of them would just completely break character and look at the other one and just be go, go like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, it's a, such a lighthearted, fun nonsense. You know, you're spending half an hour of just pure joy. It's great. And you're also, and you're also seeing a, a certain kind of genius at work. Yeah. The ability of these two people to stand on a stage with no idea what's going to happen and be able to craft an actual story. The story that they improv for 30 minutes actually had a story arc. Yes, it did. It had stakes. It had uh, drama. It had tension. It had a villain. And those moments that you talked about where it was like the looking at each other and saying, really? I, the, the One of my favorite parts was the confusion they had over the names of all the people they'd created up to that point. <laughs> yeah. What was your and name? I don't remember. What was what your name? name was. I don't remember. Did, did we set my name yet? Or and Just call me Marnie. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> it was that back and forth of <laughs> we need to set up the rules right now so we'll figure out who everybody is. And and one of them literally goes through and like, well, that was Dave and that was Sebastian and now I'm Marnie and yours and you're Paul and going through all the names and basically basically setting like now we know who we're talking about and five minutes later one of them came up with a moment where it was so confusing to the other guy he said who are you and the second guy (laughs) said i don't know and then walked away and the genius at work was by the time they got to the end of the show they'd actually figured out who that guy was yeah and i didn't see it coming until right before it happened and i won't give it away because it's too much fun to see but right before it happened i realized oh my god they're going to tell you who that person was and it was genius so yes hats off to them and and a very very good show for uh our times so i think that brings us to a happy conclusion to our episode and I hope everybody is staying safe and sane. And if anybody has any suggestions as to how they're doing that with books or movies or TV shows, please share those with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us and let us know what you think about the podcast or about Matthew's YouTube channel. You can reach us at Twitter at still TBD FM or me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach Matt at Matt Farrell or at undecided MF. You can watch the latest episodes of Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube, and you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm. You can also find us at Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, any place podcasts are found. Please be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review, share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast really does help the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel really does help Matthew. And Matthew, of course, really does help me. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.